Welcome back to the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. As you heard from the great Joel Gertner, I'm your host, Will the Thrill. And I am your co-host, Joe Static. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Podbean, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. This is a weekly episodic wrestling figure podcast where we drop new episodes every Saturday. If you are listening on any of these platforms, please provide a review. That's always helpful. You can also follow us for wrestling figure photos, giveaways, fig hunts, and just a little bit of news on Instagram and Twitter at SQD Circle AFP. And coming soon, we'll be launching our weekly YouTube live streams, the Wrestling Figure Roundtable at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. So with all that said, how's everything going with you, Joe? And got any news for the listeners? Everything's going pretty good this week, Will. Yes, I do, actually. For the listeners that follow the boss fight line of uh, wrestling figures, the one they're releasing the uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. They actually released some more, some updated news on their wrestling figure line. So what I seen today is from Boss Fight, they're coming out with what's called the Fanaticos series, which is similar to like a Mattel Basic, Mattel Core figure. And first up on that series is the Vampiro. So it's a Lucha Libre Fanaticos Vampiro, which will be part of the Fanatico series. It's a less articulated figure, which I which is more like a basic. And they added a, a little bit more info, basically saying he will eventually be part of their premium series, which is similar to an elite style figure, which is pretty cool. I've always been uh, a fan of Vampiro. So having a couple figures coming down the line, is, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, pretty exciting news because... We do have the Ray Phoenix, the Lucha Brothers figures coming out, which I believe has been now delayed till the fall, October, November, later this year from Boss Fight Studios in an elite form. And those figures look great. So I'm really excited to see the final product with those. Now we get a Vampiro. And as you know, we reviewed the Toy Biz WCW Unleashed Vampiro, which I think is one of his best figures ever. And now we're getting a new Vampiro in this boss fight. I guess Legends of Lucha Libre line, right? Yeah. Updated Vampiro. Two figures. It's all I could ask for, you know. I enjoy all his figures throughout the years. So getting two new figures in 2020, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. Very toyetic. 
wrestler, fantastic talent. So we're happy. He's he's really huge in the social media community as well. So very happy to hear that we'll be getting that. I actually also have some news for our listeners, and this is regarding the Masters of the WWE Universe line. I don't know if you remember, but a few episodes ago, we were talking about how Mattel released a Walmart exclusive ring figure set for the Masters of the WWE Universe. It was a Hogan Stone Cold set with a snake-themed ring. So we were confused as to who Stone Cold and Hulk Hogan represented from the Masters of the Universe universe. I know we were going back and forth, and we just couldn't come up with who their character was. So I talked to Corporate Steve. Over at Mattel, he is the director of marketing for the Mattel WWE brand. And this is what he said. The Masters of the WWE Universe figures, there will be two styles. There will be a mashup version of the superstars and characters. For example, the new Series 3 Undertaker is mashed up with the Masters of the Universe character Scareglow. And I know that you're very familiar with Scareglow. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that to our listeners and how this mashup takes place. Scareglow is one of the most popular figures from the Masters of the Universe toy line. He was one of the last figures to be released and one of the only figures to glow in the dark, which is a really cool feature, especially, you know, back then. So it would make sense that they paired a character like Scareglow to a character like The Undertaker. But if you compare and look at both figures, it's basically The Undertaker as Scareglow glows in the dark and has the same design, which is very fitting for The Undertaker character matching him up with Scareglow. It goes hand in hand. It does, Joe. And that is an example of a mashup of a superstar and a Masters of the Universe character. Now, other superstars that are released in these lines will not have that mashup. Those other superstars will have, as Corporate Steve explained, filters, Masters of the Universe filters. So they won't be mashed up with a specific character. And an example of that is the Stone Cold Steve Austin and the Hulk Hogan we're getting with that figure ring playset. So they don't resemble He-Man. They may have some elements of a He-Man character. They may have some elements of a King Hiss, you know, with the weapons, maybe a little bit about the style, but they are not mashed up. They just have that Masters of the Universe filter on them. So I think that clears everything up for our listeners. It certainly clears everything up for me. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, you know, like last week's episode, we were curious about that. So to have Steve confirm it makes a lot of sense. You know, there could be figures that resemble certain ones, but other ones that don't. Exactly. And I think that's what we were all wondering. We were wondering, well, you know, we have four figures in a line. Some of them look like specific characters from the Masters of the Universe. Others don't. So what's really going on? Well, what did we do? We did our research. We got the answers for our listeners out there. So we're happy to get that information to you all. With that said, that's all the news for this week. This is going to be fun, Joe. We've been recording a lot about our personal fig hunts, but we've decided to outsource a specialist for this. Some of you may know him as the Fink Hunter. Others may know him as GBM, but we here at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast know him as the good brother, Mike. And this is his debut on the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. It's 
the GBM Report. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the debut of the GBM Report right here on the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. I'm happy to be a part of it. I am Good Brother Mike, a.k.a. The Fake Hunter, reporting from the Fake Hunter headquarters at an undisclosed location. This week's report is about the Mattel Elite 76 that's been hit Walmart and Target stores. I got a stack of them right here. I got Heavy Machinery, Otis and Tucker. I got Doctor of Thugonomics, John Cena. I got Christian, the Chase Christian, and the Sassy Southern Belle, Lacey Evans. But I left those Braun Strowman's behind for the kitties. And if you guys want to get your hands on a stack of Elite 76 like the Fake Hunter, I got a couple codes for you. Bob Finder through Target and Brickseek through Walmart. So you want to grab a pen and paper, I'll get those codes for you. And while you're doing that, I'm going to send a couple quick shout-outs to Jeff and Scott over at the Fully Posable Podcast and my buddy Hova, because without them, the Fake Hunter does not exist. So now with them codes, the Pop Finder codes for the Mainline Elites at Target, 519-572-38. And the codes for the mainline elites on Brixie for Walmart, 58904-3017. And now that you got your codes, it's time for the GBM tip of the week. Make sure you know your codes and check them daily. The stores are getting in Elite 76, and you want to make sure you get what you need, just like the fake hunter. Now, make sure you get your rest, know those codes, get out early, and I'll talk to you next time right here on the GBM Report. And remember, the early hunter gets the fix. Oh, wow, Will. That was a great segment hearing from the good old GBM. He always gives some great tips on finding wrestling figures. He's the man in that in that department. I, I, I love the segment. It provides a lot of good info for the listeners and for us too. Yeah, Joe. GBM did a fantastic job, so we want to thank him from the bottom of our hearts. Don't forget, listeners, come back next time when GBM gives you those fig hunting tips and let you know what's out there in the wild. So with that, let's get to our gorilla position. I can feel electricity in the air. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Scott. Hey, yo. Is that his younger brother? It's gonna be Jeff. Hey, welcome to episode 233 of the Fully Opposable Wrestling Figure Podcast, the longest-running episodic wrestling figure podcast going today. Sitting alongside next to me is my real-life brother, not storyline brother. Wait a minute. Hang on a sec here. Wait. I think Joe. that... Uh, wait a minute. That voice sounds familiar. Hey, what's going on here, Joe? Oh. What are you trying to do? Sabotage or what we got going here? It's something I didn't... Wait. Hold on a second. Am I on the wrong show? Yeah, I think... Wait. Oh, so hold on. You guys, if my memory serves me correct, this voice sounds like Jeff from the fully posable wrestling figure, whatever it is. <laughs> and these guys were like trying to take over our Instagram account this week. Yeah. And, Wait a minute. you know, they're just they're just stirring up the pot everywhere. It, it seems like it's an invasion. And, uh, angle. It's an invasion. angle. <laughs> <laughs> I see that. So, well, you're here now, and I, like I said, this is this is where the big boys play with their toys. Oh, so look at the adjective. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kevin Nash. <laughs> Finger poke a <doom>, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah! Anyway, <laughs> so for our listeners, this is the gorilla position on the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. And all kidding aside, we want to thank Jeff from the Fully Posable Wrestling Figure Podcast for joining us this week. So thank you so much for being here, Jeff. 
It is my pleasure, gentlemen. Joe, you and I have talked numerous times in the past. You have sent numerous emails over to the show, and we thank you for that. Will, I've basically known you for about two weeks now, and it was funny, too, because the very first time we ever talked, you were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be about 15 minutes. Yeah, about two hours and 40 minutes later. Yeah, it was close to 15 minutes, right? And now I'm going to bed at 10, 10, 15, but that's okay. <laughs> Way past my bedtime. Uh, you kept me up, but it was great. It, it broke back that nostalgia. You know, remember when you had your girlfriend when you're in high school or whatever, and you couldn't see each other, and you're talking to her on the phone until the wee hours in the night, yep. and you're getting so excited. That, that's that. That's how I felt that night. You know, I was getting so excited. <laughs> I was playing with my toys. I was, you know, thinking about playing with my toys. We're talking about our wrestling figures. Oh, my God. I felt like a little kid again. This past week, you were communicating with Scott about G.I. Joe's. Yeah, I was. I mean, we we see eye to eye on that a little bit. So that's cool. And Scott's a great guy and Mm -hmm. did have a G.I. Joe conversation with him. I'm a huge collector, man. I try to I try to take everything that's dilapidated and and repurpose it and try to, you know, give it some life again and and throw Mm -hmm. it into the collection. So that's that's kind of my deal, you know, across all different properties, whether it be G.I. Joe, Star Wars. He-Man. No, no (laughs) He-Man. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't go down that He Man road for some reason. Can't get into it. I don't yeah. know. It's just it's un, it's an unfamiliar territory with. Him. But what we like to do here is we like to focus on wrestling figures. As you know, both Joe and I are huge wrestling figure collectors, enthusiasts, professional wrestling fans, and that's why you're on this week's Gorilla Position. And boy, do we have a really great topic to discuss with you this week. We're going to be scaling the years. In wrestling figures, talking about the various wrestling figure scales throughout the years and what we call the six-inch dilemma that's currently going on in our wrestling figure communities today. So, Joe, did you want to say anything to Jeff before we got started? Yeah, Jeff, I'd like to thank you uh, for coming on the show today uh, on The Grilled Position. I've always been a huge fan of the Fully Posable podcast, so it's great to to have you here. Thank you very much, Joe. And as I said, it's cool interacting with you. And as I said, I've only known Will for two weeks, so we're we're still interacting in Messenger and whatever, but we've always loved you. We thank you for downloading the show each week and making it part of your Monday, whatever it be, commute or just a listen at work or whatever it is. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. I wore that fully posable shirt you guys sent me into the ground. It's almost it's like, <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's uh, you can't even uh, the logo on it's like peeling off. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's time <laughs> to not wear this one anymore. I'm going to save it before it's gone. You know, it's like one of those 80s bands T-shirts where it's all <laughs> faded, you know, it's you can barely make out the Motley or the O and the T and Motley that's, Crew or something. That's what it looks like now. So when I wear it out. <laughs> When I wear it out, people are like, "What the hell is wrong with this guy?" <laughs> and 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 it's got two uh, it's got two guys with no shirts on on it, so it's never a good look, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my pre COVID days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, yeah, thanks for being on today. No problem, man. That's awesome, guys, and that's the most important thing about this. I think it's all about having fun, coming together. We're the new kids on the block. We joke around about being, you know, we're the big boys playing everything like that. We are a little more hardcore, I think, but. What it's all said and done, it's about coming together as a community because what do we have in common? We absolutely love wrestling figures, right? I mean, and that's the most important thing about this. So, yes, thank you from the bottom of our hearts, giving us the nod, coming to the show and talking figs with us. Absolutely, guys. Awesome. So let's get started. 
in that lengthy four hour, whatever it is, conversation, we were throwing around some ideas and not even throwing around some ideas. We were just talking. And Mm -hmm. I know you're, Jeff, you are very passionate about scaling and wrestling figures. Mm -hmm. And you're very vocal about how this six inch scale has kind of dominated the world of collecting recently Mm -hmm. and that you want something different. And I think I'm in the same boat there. And I think Joe is as well. So what we want to do first is we want to get started and talk a little bit about the history of scale. Maybe Mm -hmm. you can explain to the listeners a little bit about what you grew up with and why you're so passionate about having some differentiation within collecting. Absolutely. Like Scott and I grew up with these huge hunk of rubber LJNs, but also we had the AWA Remco figures, which were big, beefy bodies, but they were small guys. So you had different scales and you had different matches and you had all this stuff. And even before that, because Scott and I didn't know this at the time, there was Popey and Popey were these little, man, I forget the height of them. I want to say they were four inch, four inch high, but they moved at the shoulders. We had that, but the thing is, oh, and then we went on to Gloobs and Hasbros. But the thing is, is scaling to me is important because I've been a lifetime collector. So when I look across my loose shelf, I'm looking at these big hunk of rubber LJNs down to Galoobs, up to Jack's Classics, up to Jack's Deluxe Classics. It's different scaling, different articulation. It's just different. And it's kind of like you're seeing a history of collecting going on. And that's what I love because I, I love history. I love history in baseball. I love history in wrestling. Those are two things that I'm very passionate about. So I like seeing the history of wrestling figures as well. Another thing that I'm very passionate about, we went to Jack's Bone Crunchers and then we went to Real Scale, or sorry, not Real Scale, Real Scan, where they had the RA bodies and the deluxe bodies. And there was also R3 Tech in there and whatever, but... They're still the worst wrestling figures ever produced. I don't care what anybody has to say. Your opinion's not correct. They're They're pretty pretty fucking bad. bad. Well, well, that's the... (laughs) That's the thing about wrestling figures is you're not wrong. Will, you're not wrong in that opinion. It's what you see. Everything is subjective. You may like Goldagrams over Lucky Charms, but then you go two houses down. Another father over there is having a bowl of Lucky Charms over Goldagram. Everything is subjective. It's to the person's like. So you're not wrong in that statement. All of us have something different. A lot of people don't like FTC. We do like FTC. Some people don't like Mattel's almost realism and people want cartoonish. It's all subjective. That's all it is. And that goes for all facets of life. Agreed, Jeff. We kid around and stuff. I absolutely think they're terrible. But Mm -hmm. there could be someone that was seven years old playing with them. It was their first experience and they saw these awesome head scans and they were like, oh my God, this is incredible. And they mm-hmm. just got really, really passionate about it and absolutely love them. So yep. no, we, we're, we're totally in the same boat there. Mm-hmm. But getting back to what you originally grew up with and having these kind of little universes and everything, that's what I felt uh, wrestling figure collecting was fun. That's what made it fun to have these little universes. Joe, I know we grew up in a little bit of a different time. Give us a history of your collecting and when it started and what you thought about scaling from that point on 
to now. My introduction to uh, wrestling figures was, of course, the Hasbros. My first wrestling figure my mom got for me was the Jake the Snake Hasbro. So that was my introduction. And at the time, I loved playing with Hasbros. I liked the size of them and I liked the way they felt. And that's all I knew at the time. So I had the Hasbros and I had, you know, the ring, the Hasbro ring they would go in. And then my buddy at the time introduced me to Galoobs and the Sting was the first Galoob I played with. And when I put him with the Hasbros, I remember, you know, he was a little bigger, but you could still put them together and, you know, have matches together, which I enjoyed. And then my uncle had LJNs. So I went back a little further with LJNs. So now I had LJNs, Hasbros, and Galoobs introduced to me. And then a couple of years later, you bring on the uh, original San Francisco WCW uh, figures and Jacks after that. And, you know, you throw the Just Toys in there. I personally separated them all into different categories. So I liked uh, the variety. And I would even put the original San Francisco Vader with my Jack's Bone Crunchers. And of course, he would win every <laughs> match. But I liked having the variety. And me personally, as a kid, I was a little OCD. I liked separating all my guys together. But at the same time, I could put them all together. So me personally, I liked the variety. I liked having all the different sizes and the different scales compared to today when you it's the same scale across the board. I'm in the same boat. I had Hasbro's growing up. That is my introduction to wrestling figures, introduction to playing with wrestling figures, and then eventually collecting them. I did have Galoobs as well. I crossed those two universes, even though the Galoobs weren't articulated. I still had fun. They fit the ring. They were about the general size of Hasbro's. So I would definitely play with them together with my Hasbro's. And then I moved on like you did, OSFTM, Jack's Bone Crunchers, onward and upward. But what I loved most about wrestling figures back then was the the variability. I absolutely loved that you could put them together or you can have them in separate universes. And that was okay. You were a kid. And I really want to make a point here that the figures back in those times in the 80s and 90s were made for kids as toys first, toys for kids. And I feel that's changed a lot. To today. When I look at wrestling figures or various properties, they're more geared towards the collector. You do have the basic line with Mattel, and there are some toyetic things that they do, and you do have some loyal subjects out there and stuff. But for the most part, these highly detailed, highly accurate, highly articulated figures are not really geared to children anymore. They're geared to adult collectors. So Back then, I felt it was more kid-centric, and the toys were made for kids first. What are your feelings about that, Jeff? Well, if you remember, when we were kids, we had a bunch of different toys and a bunch of different scales. I mean, we'll go G.I. Joe three and three quarters to big LJNs, even small little Hasbros, the OSFTMs. And I'm, I'm covering a wide range, but we also had He-Man and their He-Man bodies. We had Mego. There was a ton of different toys in a bunch of different scales. And that was fun. We kept our toys separate as well. AWA matches. Obviously, you can't line up AWA guys with WWF LJNs. But <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, oh yeah, that's not fair. But anyways, we too, when we got the Galoobs and Hasbros, we started off because I got the Hasbros and I would wrestle with them. But I just looked at the Hasbros as too pretty. You don't want to mess those up. Those are just gorgeous the sheen and everything 
to Galoobs where you could wrestle them because they were miniature LJNs and that's great. But to today, everything is so uniformed. You walk down the toy aisle at Target or Walmart or whatever it is. It's like Mattel six inch scale, except for Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash and Andre the Giant are pretty tall. <laughs> to Marvel Legends six inch scale to Ghostbusters six inch scale. And I know there's Funkos and I I know there are also some, you know, there's the Motu WWE crossover. There There's those. But when you walk down the aisle, you just, it's almost so uniformed. And it's maybe because I come from the era where you were walking into Toys R Us or KB Toys and you were just staring at a bunch of different figures with a bunch of different looks and you were overwhelmed. You were just like, this is the Mecca. You're a kid. But I think today more toys are geared back to those kids in the 80s. They want to capture the people who have, like Scott and I have, the nostalgia glasses on. And this is not a knock against anyone, because if it wasn't for LJN and Hasbro, Mattel would be the greatest wrestling figure line ever. But nostalgia reigns supreme with us. I think back to the day where I loved looking at different scales going through the toy aisles in Toys R Us. I miss those days. I enjoy going to the toy stores or toy aisles, I should say now, but it's so uniformed and that just kind of, it, it's not as exciting and maybe because I'm older and more mature or whatever it may be, but it's just not as exciting because it's a lot of the same uniform stuff. Yeah. And you make a great point there too. I think it's the same uniform stuff and the distribution is terrible today. So the shelves are pretty much never filled. I mean, I was just out there today. I was out there earlier in the week and the shelves in various Walmarts and Targets do not stock regularly. And if they are stocking regularly, there's not enough supply for the demand right now. Why that is, right. I have no idea. It could be because of scalping. It could be because of the sell the product selling well. It could be because, again, they have a short supply. But regardless, there are empty shelves. So when I go out there, it isn't like you were a kid because when you walked into Toys R Us or you walked into KB Toys or Lionel or wherever you were going, the shelves were always filled, always. Mm -hmm. And you had mm -hmm. option. Today, you don't. There are no options. You have shelf warmers, bare shelves, and you're always leaving unhappy for the most part. I would say probably 75% of the time or not finding what you want. 100%, man. And that's... That's why we have a toy spotting segment. And remember back in the day, you could go to two stores, Toys R Us and KB Toys, more times than not. Now, I'm speaking from us over here on the West Coast. You were going to find what you were looking for in one of those two stores. Nowadays, I have to hit up four Walmarts around me that are within a 30-minute radius. I have to go to five different targets to see if they have two figures, one figure, I'm wasting gas. You know, you start to do the math in your head. And it's like, maybe it is easier to just pay cost plus shipping on Macari or eBay, or even going to, I'm going to mention them. Sorry guys, but I love these guys to the doing the favor guys. They have a great website and I keep promoting them each week. Doing favor has a great website. Go to the doing the They have one where everybody's looking out for everybody and they do cost plus shipping. There's no upcharge. Sorry, shameless plug, but I really like what they're doing on that website. But why is it that we have to go to five stores? Gas out here in California is $389. You know, like now, not only trying to buy a figure, I got to pay gas and drop 30, 40 bucks just in my tank just to try to find two figures. 
it's fun, but at the same time, man, it was so much easier back then. Then you get home, you crack open the box or the bubble, you play with your toys, go outside, come back in, it's nightfall, you start playing again. That was a fun time. And that's because I do have the nostalgia glasses on, but it was also really fun. Yeah. And I think collecting, I Joe, I mean, yeah. you and I talk about this all the time, KB Toy Stores, two in a mall, across the street mm-hmm. uh, at Toys R Us, Joe. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about these toys being made for kids back then, not being made for kids now, being more collector focused than these suppliers not being able to meet the demand or whatever it is? Maybe it's a distribution problem. Well, if you look at back then, Will, especially in Toys R Us in particular, a lot of toys Toy lines went with what was on television. So a lot of the television shows went with toy lines. So back in the 80s and the early 90s, I mean, you had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mean, you'd go to Toys R Us, you had Street Sharks, Toxic Crusaders, Inhumanoids. I mean, you go, the list goes on and on and on. And if you weren't familiar with the show, you seen the figure. If you weren't familiar with the figure, you seen the show. You know, there was always something to get into, always something to go after back then. And that's what made collecting toys in our era the best because it was so much fun. Well, Toys R Us is gone, number one. So that definitely spikes it down for kids where if they want to collect or they want to get into a toy or see it on the shelf, they have a hard time because Toys R Us is gone. KB has gone back in New Jersey. Will, you probably can relate. Bradley's, Caldor, they had a lot of wrestling figures too. So we had like three and four there. So, you know, Toys R Us, KB. Bradley's Caldor, Kmart. I mean, there was a lot. And real quick for our listeners, Bradley, Kmart, Caldor. Kmart used to be awesome. Bradley's and Caldor used to have, as far as the eye can see, same target model as far as their store planogram. Very similar to the Target and Walmart these days, but they had stock. Yeah. They had this stuff in stock. But their stock was great. And Jax did a, a Bradley's exclusive, and there was a couple other stores too. And did you always find those exclusives? Yes, I always found those exclusives when I was a kid. Exactly. Oh, yeah, they always had them. Always. So, yeah, kids nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of that's eliminated and it's a lot of, you know, stuff online, you know, YouTube, that kind of deal. When I personally go into Walmart or Target, I don't see as many kids in the toy aisles and the stock is usually pretty screwed up, but there isn't a lot of kids looking at the figures. It's not drawing too much attention. It's mainly guys coming in there, looking through the figures in two seconds, <laughs> and gra- grabbing the ones they want. What are you Browning talking about? Like, we don't do that. Browning what do you mean? Like, the other kids that may want to be in that aisle. And then you're like, why the hell are you there? Get out of my freaking collector aisle. <laughs> <laughs> the most awkward thing is when you're in an aisle and you, the other guy, and number three, the third guy, get there and you all want to look at the wrestling figures, but no one wants to like stand in front. So you guys are like picking up like random shit and looking at it. You're like, uh, oh, oh, is this Terminator? You're like, bro, get out of the way of wrestling <laughs> figures. And you, I'm like, you better not take the one I want. You know, like you're all, everybody's like, walking around in <laughs> yeah. circles because you don't want to see that you're like looking at it. You're like, you're here for figures. You're here for That's wrestling figures too. Um, That's how it goes I down do. on the East Coast, man. It's weird. It's like so I awkward, even got man. guys with their kids coming in sometime and the planets converge, man, you know, and the kids there and yapping at the dad and, and, you know, the dad's like actually a collector and I'm sitting there waiting because I let the collector and the kid get the, if you got a kid and you're a collector, I always let you get the figs first. So Fuck you. <laughs> I sit there and wait and I'm I'm dude, there's some dude, there's some <laughs> random shit too yeah. that you see. Like there's this the target by my job, there's this random like five hundred pound guy. Whenever I see him, he completely takes every single wrestling figure 
So say I go there on a Tuesday and it looks empty. I'm like, you know what? Let me try back tomorrow. It's close. I go on a Wednesday and he's there and he has everything. So if I didn't see him, I would have been like, ah, oh, man, they didn't restock that's, today. That's crazy. Yeah, well, he may too. not even be 500 pounds, man. Yeah, he may man. just be hiding all that shit under mm-hmm. his under his coat. But anyway, I know he's got like three. <laughs> he's got like three. Allegedly, he's got like three. three allegedly, you know, what's going on? All uh, right, we, that, we we discriminate. Uh, we discriminate yeah, for another on this podcast. Anyway, <laughs> or being assholes equally to everybody. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, oh yeah. Getting we back to did. the scaling. I, yeah. So we make good points here. I think there's a situation in this day and age that the scaling makes people less interested because like you said, Jeff, I mean, everything looks the same. So if you're a kid and you go down an aisle and everything looks the same, you're kind of just like, you're not drawn to anything really. You know, nothing's really catching your eye. And then as Joe said, you don't have that reinforcement. You don't have any connection because one, I mean, yeah, wrestling's on television, so you have it there. But some of these other properties that are out there, you know, they don't even have TV shows anymore. They may not even be on YouTube. If your father or your parents aren't educating you about it or actually putting the nostalgia goggles on and showing you these things, you have no idea what it is if you're a kid. So it's like the scaling and all these other things that are going on just don't drive sales for that kid demographic, I think, in this day and age. But we do have to throw in one counterpoint, and that's six inch scale is where the money is at. Why do you think everything is going to six inch scale? Why is it when Boss Fight Mass Republic shows off their Penta and Phoenix, the very first question someone gets is, or the designers get, or even we get, I'm like, I just saw the same thing you guys. Can I can I display it? Is it going to be in scale with my other Mattel figure? Yep. And that's because they want... It's for the figure photographers. It is for the grown adults that do still play figures or have fig feds or whatever it may be. because. They want to have that Marvel Universe, you know, collide, you know, they want all that, you know, and I get that. I get that. We were different back then. But as I said, I'll go back earlier. You're not wrong in what you do regarding figures. If you want to open up your figures, that's great. If you want to keep a mint on card for autographs, that's great. That's what Scott and I do. If you want to do figure, whatever it may be, you're not wrong. But at the same time, that's where the money is at. And that's where everybody is wanting to keep everything in the six inch scale. That's why Jazzwares is in six inch scale. And granted, another point to that is the figures do look good in the six inch scale, but us 80s kids and 90s kids don't mind seeing something different. Why do you think when Bandai got Power Rangers in the late 90s, they were in a bigger scale? That didn't hurt anything. I mean, everybody rushed out and bought all the Power Ranger figures. It was ridiculous. It was like 10 years old or something, right? And I was jumping over the, the checkout lanes and stuff, grabbing on mom's <laughs> hairs. You know, I was literally pulling people's hair to get these figures, man. I literally ran up there and Bradley's ran up to the thing. I put a bunch of them in my coat and I just ran away and I jolted away. And my mom was yelling at me. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? I just stood there with a bunch of them in my hand and the ladies were yelling at me and I was like tugging on people's jackets. I mean, I was ready to go, you know? (laughs) That shit was crazy. And that's the crazy thing is everybody wants the six inch scale and that's where the money is at. And not many people want to deviate from that. Now, I will say DC McFarland figures deviated from it and they took a, a ration of crap from their hardcore collectors because they couldn't interact their DC figures the seven inch scale DC figures with their six inch Marvel legends and McFarland took a ration of crap. Me personally, 
I said kudos to McFarlane. That was beautiful. Those figures Jeff, are beautiful. I'm if I was a comic them. book fan, I'd be all over you, those Joe, figures. But I, all I'm all long. over them. I love them. I don't even know half the damn things where they come <laughs> And really, I, I've never read the comics or anything like that. Most of this stuff is <laughs> killing it. You know what's nice about those? They're always in stock. Even the Joker. You can find them all pretty much. I've seen them mm-hmm. all on the pegs multiple times, which is nice. Yeah, and we've mm-hmm. talked about that in the past yeah. too. Yeah, they yeah, are in 100% stock, correct. but here's the thing, Joe. They go in and out. The only ones that really have stayed around here that I've seen are that Batman series one fig, Detective Comics 1000 or whatever. But yeah. most of them are... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Most that, of them though are in and out though, you know? But like you said, you see them, which is great. So really quick, getting back to that real life stuff and everybody wants these figures that look real and that are in the same scale. Well, when was this change made? So we're talking about here, you know, the the 80s and the 90s, and we're just getting all the nostalgia goggles on and we have these different scales and everything's unique and you can have different universes and your universes can collide. But what I feel, what we've, I think all feels the pivotal turning point of this IRL or in real life representation of wrestling figures and figures was created by Jax. The, their use of the real scan technology, they really changed that game and they were really the pioneers, you could say, for this kind of like uniform scale that has to look like the exact representation of the real life character or whatever it is. I wouldn't put it on Jax because Jax did remain with those bulky bodies where if you look at the figures now, like regarding Mattel and... The realism is just scary. There are like Scott and I talk about the Nia Jax Elite 65, I believe it was 64, 65. I think it was 65. Anyways, the one with the braids, that was scary good. Like that was so lifelike. You know, you thought that was going to come to life. You're like, oh man, you know, because it was just so good. So Jax, yes. As far as wrestling figures, I would say Jax kind of, because but Jax kept with those bulky bodies, just the bulky RA and the bulky deluxe bodies. Mattel. Now, I can't speak for any other toy line because I don't know when Marvel Legends switched over to a six-inch scale. I don't know when all these other companies went to a six-inch scale. But for Mattel to shrink their figures down a little bit and make them even more lifelike, that's when I felt that this really changed because I do see the bulky bodies in the Jax Classics or the Jax Deluxe Classics. Yeah, the bulky bodies are definitely there, but... Mattel listened to the consumer, right? They were like, okay, well, Jax Mm -hmm. did it right in one area where you have this ridiculous head scan and head scan technology that is like the real life guy. But everybody, Mm -hmm. even towards the end, used to complain they're not in scale. This one's the same size. This one's got muscles. This one should be skinny. So I think what Mattel was like, oh, man, we have an opportunity now to capitalize off of this. And yes, then they were really the foundation of that all in one figure. You got the accurate body for the most part, and you got the real life face scan. So I agree with you there. You're 100% correct. And just in general, that real scan technology was such a huge game changer back in 2000. I mean, you went from bone crunchers, the heads on bone crunchers. We all remember the Steve Austins and the Triple H's to the real scan of Triple H and Steve Austin. You're like, this is night and day. This is a 100% complete 180. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved getting figures that looked closer to them. I was all for it. I do miss some cartoonish stuff 
you know, I do miss the cartoony. And, and granted, Mattel has now put out the Motu WWE mashups. That's very cartoony. But the Motu line just isn't resonating me. And I don't know if it's not because I'm not a big He-Man fan. It's just, it's not clicking. I just don't know what it is. But what I am going to say is I'm happy for Mattel that it is working because a lot of these wrestling figure collectors were also Master of the Universe line fans. They were also Remco fans where you could just pop off all the parts and you got a Remco figure. And they're also customizers who are taking these and doing a bunch of different customs. I guess they're easy to custom. We haven't tried, but I guess they're easy to custom. So I'm glad to see that this line is hitting for Mattel. I do want to say that. So Joe is a Motu guy. He grew up with it. He collects it. As you heard, he's Mm -hmm. selling it actively as well. So Joe, maybe you can speak to this a little bit about the Motu line. Before we get to that real quickly, I agree with your sentiment. I We want more cartoony things. It is very in real life centric. There's a demand for that. They're filling the holes, but they're filling them in odd areas. It's resonating with me a little bit, but I'd like to see something else. You also have companies like Loyal Subjects that are making those mini WWE figures mm-hmm. that have articulation yeah. and movement in the legs and the arms and the elbow joints and stuff with bigger heads that are that are really fun and they, uh, but I can't find them mm-hmm. anywhere. Joe, getting back to the Motu stuff where you can customize and everything, is it resonating with you? What do you think about it? Does that satisfy your demand for something more cartoonish, et cetera? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for me personally, it definitely does. I like the uh, Masters of the Universe WWE line. I think it's really cool. There wasn't a figure I was disappointed with yet. And Me personally, I have them on card and I have them loose and loose. I don't put any of the weapons with them. I kind of display them or look at them almost like a Remco, similar to a Remco figure. I like displaying them without the Masters of the Universe, you know, attire if I can. Overall, I think the the Motu WWE line is really cool. I like the rings as well and, you know, the little comics and just the whole display. I, I really enjoy. You know what? Will, I do want to go back to one of your points that you made. You said something about we do like the cartoonish look, and I think that's maybe why those DC collectibles stand out so much on the pegs. And it's not because you can find them, but it is because they're in a different scale and they do have a cartoonish look. When you look at Star Wars Black Series or Marvel Legends, they are very realistic. And so that's maybe one of the reasons that the DC line maybe resonates with you and I. That's exactly it. I look at some of these Joker figures they're doing, and I look at the, even this, the Batmans and the Supermans and the, the Wonder Womans. I mean, they, they pop, the colors pop. You even get into their fall releases with this whole DC Metals line. I mean, just the stuff they're doing, it's just like it's unique, fun, chunky, big. Again, as Joe said, if you didn't know about the cartoon, or a comic, or whatever it was, and you went into the toy store as a kid, and you saw that figure, and it was like, whoa, this is so cool. You just got it. And then you learned about the cartoon and the comic, and you read it afterwards, right? And Mm -hmm. vice versa. You were watching the cartoon, you're reading the comic, and all of a sudden, you pop in the toy store, and you say, oh, man, this figure is so cool. I'll pick the figure up and now start collecting the figure. (laughs) DC, McFarland, DC is doing, DC Multiverse stuff is doing that. I don't know anything about the comics what's going Mm -hmm. on in them or anything i'm looking at this toy and i'm like wow i'm really interested in this because it's in a bigger scale it's got great paint app 
The build quality, I don't know. I'm a mid on car collector, but I've heard hit or miss there. But the look of them are comic-like. They're more cartoonish. You know, they're just they're just resonating. They're very unique. Going back to wrestling figures, I wish they did something super fun like that with wrestling figures. All of a sudden, out of the blue, I show up and I'm like, whoa, this is so cool. I want to buy it. And just mm-hmm. start collecting a whole line like that in wrestling. That would make me so happy. Mm-hmm. Well, to be honest, we did have the big Kendall wrestlers like the Seth Rollins, the Kevin Owens. We did have those on our pegs here at Target for quite a while. Our Target hasn't been stocked in a long time. That's neither here nor there. They did try a different scale. There was something out there as far as a different scale. And then if you want to even scale it down a little bit, we had the retros for 10 series. Yeah, we had the retros. We had those large ones. Those, yeah, like you said, the doll style. You also had the micro brawlers, I think they were called. Other than loyal subjects with wrestling, and then obviously the masters of the WWE universe, I think Mattel's done a really good job with them. Mm -hmm. I think there's room for something else. I don't know what that is, but loyal subjects and masters of the WWE universe isn't doing to me what McFarlane is with the DC multiverse line. Yeah, maybe it's because of what we demand for wrestling these days. We want the in real life characters who want the accurate attires. We want them to look like they were just coming out of the television. I don't know, Joe, what are your thoughts on? This? Yeah, I think that what you were mentioning, describe it. I think that resonates with both of you guys. It's different, something different to see in the aisle. The scaling's different. It's a little more cartoony. So it almost brings you back a little bit where the rest of the aisle, the rest of the figures all look the same. They're not as, you know, they're not anywhere near what the DC McFarlane figures look like. So I think that's why, you know, it's a little different and um, it definitely brings you back. I don't know where it goes from here. Look, Jeff, Joe, we've all discussed this together. We all think that this is the greatest time to be just a figure collector, action figure, wrestling figure collector. It's one of the greatest times to be a collector. There's some new properties out there like the AEW stuff and Jazzwares. I know Jazzwares is a very progressive company when it comes to their their properties and all their uh, action figure lines. So we hope to maybe get something from them. Let's finish it up. And uh, what do you guys think? Where do you see all this going in the future? For me, who knows? We can't predict the future. Who who would have known 2020 was going to happen, right? <laughs> but but you said it best. Well, it is a great time to be a figure collector, not just wrestling figures, because right now wrestling figures has five toy lines. Mattel, you got Jazzwares, you got Super 7, FTC, Boss Fight, Master Public. You've got five in the pot. Then on top of that, you've got these great looking Hasbro, the Power Ranger Hasbro figures. My God, those things are beautiful. And then you got the DC McFarlane and you got Marvel Legends killing it. You got and granted, these are all in six inch scale. They're very realistic. It's got so much going on. We got Funkos that are still just 10 bucks. That's it, 10 bucks for a Funko. And they capture your nostalgia in Full House or whoever they're making, Golden Girls or whoever they have. Jeff, but- I, I, you didn't get the memo. This is a non Funko pop podcast. Sorry. Oh, about that. oh you know, we, you know we, don't, we don't say I'm- the word f on this podcast (laughs) our dads don't like us to use the word funko (laughs) (laughs) yeah you just uh, dropped you dropped an f-bomb early you dropped an f-bomb yeah the fuck we but that was the the fuck word but we can't use the the funko (laughs) not on this but at the same time 
what I'm gonna round I'm gonna round it <laughs> out with is that it is it is a great time to be a wrestling figure and a toy collector, at least for our 80s and 90s kids. It is a great time to be a toy collector because it's a lot of the same stuff we grew up with. Power Rangers, wrestling figures, Star Wars, G.I. Joe is making a comeback as Scott won't shut up about on the show. Just kidding. <laughs> but whatever it may be, there's so much for us 80s, 90s kids because they know us 80s and 90s kids are standing there with money in our hands and ready to throw money to get figures. It's a great time right now. It's just not only for a wrestling figure collector, but for a toy collector, period. Joe, what do you think? I agree with Jeff on this one. There's so many varieties now on the toy aisle as far as, you know, different lines to pick up, not as far as scaling, but different toys to pick up where, you know, the real Ghostbuster classics are back, the Ghostbuster plasma series, you have Power Rangers. I mean, there's so many lines that throw back to when we were mm-hmm. kids, you know, it's so much to take in. And it's also a lot to put out, you know, when you're trying to collect all these, you know, you don't want to miss out on a line. Once you um, get behind on something, you know, it feels like forever to get back to being completing your collection and everything. So it's a tough time if you're a collector at the same time, because you got to keep up with all this and there's so much to keep up with. And I agree with both of your sentiments. I think this is probably the best time in wrestling figure collecting, collecting in general. It does take a strain, obviously, on the collector because of the breadth of options you have. As we go back to scale, what our position is on it is that we like it. We don't have a problem with it. We collect this six-inch scale, but I still think there's room for these toy companies and their respective properties to give us a little more. Give us some more unique, fun, cartoonish things We yearn for that as our nostalgia goggles are on, as being kids from the 80s and 90s. That's what we want. I think we're still missing a little bit of that. That's our position. To end this, I'd like to say once again, thank you, Jeff. No problem. Thanks for coming on the pod. It was a pleasure having you. You guys rock it every week. And maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about where you can find your podcast, etc. You can head on over to fullyposablepodcast.com where... You can go back and listen to any of our episodes, even episode one, which I don't recommend you guys doing. It's kind of fun hearing the progression. We got better as we went along, better equipment, all that stuff. It was fun hearing the progression. But if you guys want to bear those first few episodes, go for it. We encourage it. So fullyposablepodcast.com. You can always download the Podbean app and search for us on there. If you are out walking the dog or out taking a ride or whatever you may be doing, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and Google Play, and Player FM, and uh, I've got so many. Anyways, check us out all over there. You can send us any audio questions, questions, or anything else at all to fullyposablewfp at gmail.com. And we have shirts at Pro Wrestling Tees and whatamaneuver.com. Net. That's all. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. You know, man, it's great to have you here. And uh, hopefully we can do, you know, a couple more shows in the future. I'm a big fan of Fully Posable and I'll be listening each and every week. So uh, yeah, man, thanks for coming on. Yeah. And guys, welcome. Welcome to the community. 
welcome. It's fun. It's sometimes a little hair pulling, but it's fun, man. And when you guys start the show, have fun with it. There are times you'll get frustrated. Scheduling will pop up or whatever it may be, technical issues. Let those go and just have fun. Awesome, Jeff. Thank you so much again for the nod, for coming on. We recommend everybody that's listening right now to this episode, go back and listen to episode one of our podcast because we're, we're only five in. So I mean, geez, you got to listen to episode <laughs> one. But, you know, other than that, thank you so much again for coming on. And that's our gorilla position. And for this week's edition, the Oh My God figure of the week is the Kellyan AAA Ray Mysterio Jr. Wow, Joe, this is one of the most sought after figures in wrestling figure collecting. But some of our listeners may not know about Lucha Libre Wrestling or AAA. So could you give them a little bit of a brief background and history about AAA and how it came to be? Yes. AAA was started back in May of 92 when a gentleman by the name of Antonio Pena, who worked for another promotion in Mexico, the uh, CMLL promotion, broke away from the company and wanted to start his own company with Conan. So at the time, they set up AAA with a lot of the younger talent that was coming in to CMLL. So they wanted to have a younger roster, a fresh roster, and they signed a wrestler out of Tijuana by the name of Rey Mysterio Jr. A few others that the listeners might might know is uh, Psychosis, Octagon, Blue Panther, and Heavy Metal, a couple other younger wrestlers at the time to name a few. And at the start of AAA, they were very successful. Basically, it's called the Golden Years, which would be from 1993 to 1995. And in between there, in 1994, they paired with a small company in Mexico, Kellyan, which would put a deal together where they would release 12 wrestlers, mostly the younger talent they just signed. So the first series is 12 wrestlers, which includes the wrestlers I just mentioned, and of course, Rey Mysterio's first wrestling figure. Yes. And you know what's so great about this wrestling figure line? is that you don't know much about it. So it is really a mystery. We had to go to the internet to some of our friends, specifically wrestling figure collector Mike Cruz, and get some information about this Kelly and AAA line because it's very difficult to find anything on YouTube, on the internet. And if you do find something, whether it be figure reviews or even the history of Kelly and AAA, it's always in Spanish. So it's very difficult to obviously comprehend if you don't know Spanish. So Mike Cruz helped us out, and we're going to give you a little bit of background about that partnership between Kelly and AAA. As Joe said, the figures were released by Kelly in 1994. The figures were actually manufactured in Hong Kong, but imported out of Macau. And what was very unique to them is they were only sold in northern Mexico, specifically at supermarkets and department stores. One no notable one was called the Palacio del Hero. I hope that's right. I'm sorry, guys. I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> that, sounded, that sounded pretty good. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> 
So this is where actually Mike purchased his figures. He lived in northern Mexico at the time, and his father went to the supermarket, this department store that still exists today, and actually bought them for about five bucks a piece, which is pretty incredible. He actually, Mike, had a picture of himself with the figures when he was a little kid as well, just like all of us in our Hasbros. But the one thing that always eluded him was the Rey Mysterio Jr. He never saw it when he was a kid living in northern Mexico, and he never had it. So again, there's just this mystery behind it, and it's just a great wrestling figure. Yeah, so this is Rey Mysterio's first action figure. He's about 19 years old here, and I'm going to review and card a little bit. So the Kelly and AAA wrestling figure cards are very, very unique, but also very similar to a, a wrestling card you guys might know. It's very similar to the WCW Galoob cards. Basically, the card is a black and red card. It has the uh, AAA across the top, similar Mexican colors, red, white, green, which is very cool. The wrestler is on the side of the card in the attire. All the wrestlers from the AAA line are are off. They're centered a little off, but they're all in the same spot on the card. You got the green lines through the black in the back, which is very cool. Very similar to the Galoob card, like I said. And then a lot of these cards have a nickname or you know another name for the wrestler. In Rey Mysterio Jr.'s card, it has Super Nino, which I thought was very cool because I personally never knew that until I looked at the Kelly and card. So that you know, gave me some new information I wasn't familiar with. And what I really like about the car too, another, another point is the Kelly and logo. You know, if you look very close, it has like a carousel kind of logo, a little carousel. And the Kelly in is in green, almost reminds me of like a Sesame street kind of theme, which would make sense. You know, these figures were geared towards, um, children and flip over to the back. It's got a plain black, uh, plain, excuse me, white card. And it lists the 12 action figures from the line. Some notables here, blue Panther, Conan, La Parca, Psychosis, a heavy metal, a lot of very popular wrestlers at the time. So the back of the card's white. You got the Kelly and logo on the back. And in the top left corner, you get a figure card, which, you know, gives the wrestler stats, which I thought was cool. You know, back then, a lot of these cards were destroyed and a lot of kids liked cutting out the cards and collecting them after they, you know, took the figure out. So overall, well, the card is great. It's a nice size. I like the size of it. I like the size of the figure and the 12 figures. It's a fantastic set it is and i absolutely love the card back as well like you said the red and green and white colors on it really pop it is very reminiscent of that galoob wcw carding i remember us reviewing that sting from the galoob wcw series one and i said that it had that kind of TV vibe with those lines. And I think you're getting the same kind of TV old school 80s, 90s vibe on this card as well. I absolutely love the fact that it does come with a file card or trading card. As I used to love being a little kid and collecting file cards and trading cards, and it had all the, the superstars or wrestler stats on them. So that's super fun. But as we move into the figure, this figure is pretty unique because as you said, it is his first ever figure release and his attire is in this really cool pink and white color it is actually his debut attire from his rookie year in 92 mike cruz actually had some photos for us from old lucha libre magazines in mexico that depicted him in this attire and what i like about the figure as we move on to reviewing the the actual figure 
is that the figure actually mirrors the Rey Mysterio Jr. photo on the card back. And these figures are not articulated. They're more of a statue style figure. The way that Rey Mysterio is posed is with his hand up, his palm up with five fingers out and then a fist. And again, he's got that pink and white attire and it's just great. It's like he's going to put the claw on someone and his photo on the card back matches that. It's the attention to detail, right? It's the little things that make these older figures so much more special. That attention to detail and the thoughtfulness. And that's what we love about this Kellyan Rey Mysterio Jr. figure. What do you think of the figure, Joe? I like the figure. I've never had this figure in particular. I had a couple of the other AAA figures in the past. And when you hold these figures in your hand, they're very sturdy. They're they're a very, very solid figure. So me personally, I like wrestling figures that are like that. I've liked the Galoobs. I like the uh, original San Francisco toy makers. They always have a soft spot. So when I obtained a couple of the Kelly and AAA figures. I like the size. I like the way they feel. They're about five, maybe five and a half inches, but they're just very sturdy. So a lot of the kids, I guess, you know, when they were buying them at the time, you could play with these, you can bang them around and they're just very heavy. They're very solid figures. So I'm a huge fan of the line and this Rey Mysterio is probably one of his best figures. It is. And you know, it's funny as Jeff was saying in the gorilla position, you know, with the King Kong Bundy, big hefty LJNs, you could cast people with these. Well, you could do the same thing with these figures. They were hard. They were larger especially as a kid, man, if you got hit in the head with one of these things, you'd probably be out in two seconds, you know? (laughs) But you're right. As far as the playability is concerned, you could play with these. You could bang them around. And that's why a lot of the figures these days have a lot of paint wear on them. They have, especially with this Rey Mysterio Jr. figure, they have the fingers missing on them because kids actually loved playing with these. And that's what makes them pretty much even more sought after because there's not a lot of them around. The batch and production quantities are both unknown. You couldn't find these even in Mexico, as we previously stated. And today, if you find them, they could have fingers missing. They can have a bunch of paint missing. And you're still going to pay a lot of money because of the limited supply of them. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like half and half. I feel like with this line, there's 12 figures, six of these figures you could find, the Conan in particular being number one there. You could find half of these. And then I feel like the other half, including the Ray, including the Seacosis, the Blue Panther, those are a little more sought after with Ray being number one, Seacosis being number two, finding them in good condition is very tough to do. Most of the rays you see online, whether it be in Facebook groups, if you see the ray on eBay, he's pretty beat up. His fingers are always missing. You can almost guarantee the figure is going to be in rough shape. But at the same time, he's still in that $100, $300 price range, even destroyed. Like I said, he's number one out of the 12, I would say. And very hard figure to obtain. Yep. You know us at the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. We love to do our research because we want you to have these figures. We want you to add them to your collection and we want to give you the facts. And the facts are very hard to find. These will come damaged. You could pay anywhere from one to $300 as Joe said, and you're going to spend and you're going to drop a little bit of coin on this stuff. But with all that said, this is why we think this Kellyan Triple A Rey Mysterio Jr. is a must have and an oh my God figure of the week.
never forget the name of And you will never forget the name. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> wow, Joe, this is a very, very fun. You will never forget the name segment. We are going to be talking about something I don't know a lot about. I do know a lot about the line, but I don't know a lot about the professional wrestling history of this character. So we're going to be talking about today the Jack Specific WWE, the Boogeyman, I'm Coming to Get Your Ring with Figure. So it's a ring and figure playset. This was a line of ring and figure playsets created by Jack Specific in the 2000s, and they had a variety of them. They had ones featuring the Boogeyman. They had ones featuring Piper and Piper's Pit. They had ones featuring King Booker and his King Booker T promo stuff. So these are fun play sets. They're great for kids. They're great for display. But I don't know anything about the Boogeyman. I didn't watch professional wrestling from 2005 to 2015. It just was terrible. I couldn't do it. So give me a little background on the Boogeyman and what this whole I'm going to get your ring in place it is all about. Yeah, so the Boogeyman was a character... That before he debuted in the WWE, I don't know if a lot of people know this, he was actually on Tough Enough back in 2004. When you sign up for Tough Enough, you have to meet a certain age bracket. And the Boogeyman basically made it to the top eight or 12, whatever it was. But when they did a little research, you know, they did a little more digging, they found out he was 40 years old, which is crazy. So he was taken off Tough Enough and, you know, they still kept him in the cards. They still had his number and they sent him to OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, where he wrestled a couple matches in 05 you know he was training and that's where it sounded like he basically on the fly said i'm the boogeyman so that's where he just generated the persona you know of the the nightmarish persona and stuff like that yeah so he's basically after one of his matches one of his squash matches he basically said i'm the boogeyman before leaving the building from there the gimmick evolved into he started doing the makeup you know the monster face the clock I don't know if a lot of people know this either. He was started on Raw and they did a lot of his promos, but they moved him to SmackDown and he debuted, I think it was 2005 on an episode of SmackDown. And a lot of his matches, you know, when he first started, he did a lot of the squashing. So he actually defeated JBL. Every match he was in, he basically won. They even moved him to WrestleMania 22, where he actually beat Booker T. Very high profile match for him. And Will, to be honest, he wasn't a great wrestler. His matches, for the most part, he did the same moves over and over. They were sloppy. And I think a lot of that had to do with his age and he's injury prone, always injured. So every time he was scheduled for a match, it would get set back because he's injured. You know, he's an older guy and you yeah, know, he's in his forties yeah. now, you know, he's in mid forties. So gave him a lot of high profile matches and you know, he wasn't that great. It was just, I think it was more so the character building the boogeyman kind of character more than the athlete. Yeah. And focusing on those promos, like you said, I mean, the big alarm clock from what you're telling me, almost a Freddy Cougar style persona, like this boogeyman character where at night he's going to get you, you know, he's coming to get you. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I mean, I think it makes sense to create toys 
of this character because the Boogeyman is just a very toyetic character. While you were actually describing him to me, it actually reminded me of Papa Shango a little bit. Yeah. You know, mysterious very similar. and kind of toyetic. Yeah, very similar in that nature. So this ring and figure playset is perfect for him. It's got the fire background. How did you come across this playset in the 2000s? Well, it's actually a funny story, Will. I remember the first time I seen this ring in stores. I was actually in Ohio. I wasn't in New Jersey. So back in 06, long story short, I used to play music. I was in a band on the, and we used to play this venue called The Attic. And there was a huge super Walmart across the street. And we sometimes we'd go there a couple times a year. And I would always go in this Walmart and they always had, you know, the Jack's Classics. So I would always, you know, hit that super Walmart up before we would play. I remember seeing this ring. I was familiar with the Piper. I was familiar with the uh, Triple H ring, you know, the couple character rings you mentioned earlier. And then I seen the Boogeyman, I'm coming to get your ring. And that one you didn't see too often. That one was, wasn't was really around where a lot of the Walmarts in NJ that I would go to. So I seen it and I liked the character. You know, I seen it in the Walmart. He had his own ring. I might have been the only person actually by this ring. I enjoyed the figure it came with. You know, it had an exclusive Boogeyman figure. It had the cool decorative pieces to the inside and outside of the ring. I think it would have looked better with a raw type of ring instead of a SmackDown. But either way, it was a solid piece to add to my collection. Most of his figures look the same. If you look closely, it's mainly different paint and design on the face. But I enjoyed them all. Once I had the ring and figure and I had him displayed in the ring with the backdrop, it was fun. I liked posing the figure in the ring. After that, you know, it kind of went back in the box. I remember packing it back up to reserve some room for the other figures I was buying. But looking back at it, it's a really fun Jack's piece. And the reason I chose it for, you'll never forget the name. Yeah. And I think you nailed it right on the head. This is a really fun piece. You can display it maybe with low lights, you know, red lights, put that fire backdrop there, put a wrestler in it, bring back that nightmare dream motif in the wrestling ring. And I think that's what's fun about it. And like you said, you get the exclusive figure as well, which is a big selling point for this entire line, the ring with figure line from Jack Pacific at the time. So we absolutely love this playset. We love all this entire line wrestling rings with figures and their promo aspect. These are promo rings. You can put them in your fig fed. You can do some old school figure photography with them. I think it's just a fun addition to your collection. Yeah, it is. If you like collecting, you know, Jack's, product in general and the superstar rings you need this boogeyman ring in your collection i think a lot of people forget about it it's great for this segment because it lets the listeners know it's out there still it's around in the box it's around 100 150 dollars if you want it i know a lot of collectors nowadays are always going back and i'm seeing these rings pop up more and more this one same thing not as much but i think if you collect the jack's product and you collect rings, this is great for your collection. I agree. And that is why you will never forget the name. I'm coming to get you. Look at this. Look at this. You talk about a house of fire. You're seeing it right here. And welcome to this week's edition of Busted Open.
Wow, Joe. The past few weeks' busted open segments have been real easy on me. No heart palpitations. I was riding, riding really high, feeling good, not opening up figs because I'm hashtag MOC for life, baby. This week, though, it's coming back. I'm starting to get a little sweaty. (laughs) My heart's starting to race. My stomach's starting to grumble because this week I'm going to have to bust it open. And boy, do we have a set of figures which is making me go crazy. We are going to bust open the Jax Pacific WWE Extreme Superstars 2-pack with Mankind and Terry Funk. And Joe, this set has a dilapidated autograph from Terry Funk on the box. You know what? You know what, Will? You son of a bitch. I saw... I signed that figure for you. you, you son of a bitch. And uh, I want you to know, I can barely write. I can barely sign my own name, you goddamn bastard. So I want you to know I actually did sign it. And it wasn't my nephew. And it was me. Cherry fuck you, motherfucker. Funk. You. So, wow, Terry, I'm so sorry. I did think that a little kid signed this. I bought this off of eBay a few years back, put it in storage. The signature was all scribbly. I thought someone tried to pull my arm because I got it for basically nothing, too. I think I bought this thing for like 15 bucks. But there you go. There you go, guys. You heard it from the extreme superstar, Terry Funk. This is his autograph. Well, we're going to verify it. We're going to post a photo online and you let us know. Do you think this is a real Terry Funk autograph or not? And we'll go from there. Joe, let's get into this two-pack. I'm going to start busting this open. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about your thoughts of the two-pack, what you like about it, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. In passing, you know, if you're scrolling online, you're looking at classic superstars, the extreme superstars pack definitely catches your eye. You know, it's got a different different paint on the top, red instead of the classic, you know, black and gold. And when you see the Terry Funk attire, I think it, you know, it brings you in, draws you in. The Mankind, eh, you know, as you get closer, you're like, what the hell is this? But I'm really interested, Will, to have you describe the uh, Terry Funk figure. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. Oh my god. Wait a minute. Joe, I oh my god, I'm I got to I got to sit down for a second here, man. I <laughs> Oh my god, I almost fainted here. Can't believe I'm doing. Do you know how much this fucking set is going for right now, bro? You know these classic these classic superstars are getting out of control. Dude, I seen it in an online auction the other day. This exact two pack. I don't want to know. Don't tell me cuz it's basically out right now. Here. I'm taking it out. Uh, you know what's funny, Will? Uh, before you get it, you jump into that. For some reason, if you bust open figures, you don't. You're not an MLC guy. A lot of autographed figures are cheaper than the actual figure without the autograph. Yeah, I have been seeing that of late. I don't understand why. I think it's dependent upon the superstar as well. That has a lot to do with it. But yes, and for the most part, they are a little cheaper. People want to open these. The majority of people we want to keep them mid on card. We want to keep them mid on card for life. Hashtag MOC for life. But yeah, that that is a good point. I have seen that on eBay recently that some of the autograph stuff has come in a little lower. And maybe that's one of the reasons why this was so low a few years back online. Well, I popped them out. Hold on. I'm popping them out. 
Oh, there comes the mankind. And God, that mankind's an awful figure. Jesus gosh. Okay, here's here comes Terry Funk. This Terry Funk out of the package is probably one of the best classic superstars figures ever. His best classic superstar figure. The accessories are pretty cool yeah. too. I'm interested in that bat. How's that bat? Is it the same kind of Jack's bat over and over again? Or it looked a little different. Yeah, it looks to me, you know, again, I don't have any comparison. The the barbed wire on the bat looks painted a little brighter, which looks like it has like a little bit more paint to make it shinier, which is pretty cool. So I don't know if that's true. I'd have to look at another photo or another bat in hand, but this does look like it has a shinier barbed wire paint app to it. This figure set also comes with two other accessories it comes with a shopping cart which is really cool the shopping cart has rolling wheels and they twist like a real grocery shopping cart which is awesome and then it also comes with a trash can which has a removable lid as well so you can obviously bash your wrestlers over the head with the trash can lid or the trash can it's like it's a softer plastic which is really cool nice and you can obviously load the load your shopping cart up with all the weapons and whatnot which is pretty cool and like display with them i want to get into the terry funk first because this terry funk figure is amazing i believe his previous release as a singles release in the classic superstar line was in series three or four where he had the striped pants and the red bandana well they did a completely different mold for this figure so he's got this jeans on this jean pant mold yeah and they're tucked into his boots his boots are actually highly detailed with drawn feathered look to it x's over the laces they're in this red and white kind of motif which is really nice he comes with a really awesome soft good shirt which says hardcore students school of hard knocks it has the terry funk u on it the university u and a picture of his face with a a graduation cap on he comes with taped fists which are open a awesome awesome elbow pad which is pretty unique i I haven't seen this size elbow pad on a figure on the classic superstar line it's really tight i know some of these were really loose but it's form-fitting for him and then he also has a black bandana Uh, head scope looks the same as the previous release it's a really great figure Yeah, I was curious uh, looking at the figure online. I really like the way the pants go into the boots. The boots look great. I like Terry Funk in this attire. So I was curious. Well, that that was a good description. The boots look very cool. The uh, Terry Funk, the bandana on the side of the package looks different than the bandana that's actually on the figure. Yeah, the card is weird. They used photos of their previous released figures on this actual box for the Extreme Superstars 2-pack. So you obviously have Mankind and Terry Funk on there, but it's from Mankind from the Series 2 release with his mask on and Terry Funk with the bandana that matches, I believe, his Series 3 or 4 release. I I forget sometimes all these wrestling lines and, and which series they're in. Yeah, that's a little odd, I thought. I'll look past that because we busted it open. So that card is probably going to get thrown in the trash anyway. Well, (laughs) unless the autograph, well, the autograph was verified. So hopefully the Funker won't kill me if I do that. Getting to the Mankind figure, it's terrible, man. Here's the thing about this Mankind figure. It's got a black bottom torso with black boots and it's, there's nothing on it. It's just black plus black tights. It's got a taped fist in an open hand. It's got basic generic Mick Foley head sculpt. And then a molded on plastic white 
shirt that's cut off and a tie. I don't know who put these two together. I don't know why you would choose this attire for mankind. It's terrible. The only thing I could think is they put so much detail and money into the accessories in the Terry Funk figure that they had no budget left and they were like, we're just going to use the cheapest things we can use for this mankind figure. That's what it looks like. And to be honest, well, before I really looked closely at the two pack, I thought it was McFoley. And I was like, why the hell are they doing McFoley and Terry Funk? But then when I seen mankind on the side i was like okay and you get mankind with the tie and the pants are just black pants black boots which is kind of strange almost as like the figure is just thrown together thrown in the two-pack with terry yeah we didn't need extreme superstars we could have just had an extreme superstar pack them up with a bunch of accessories probably lower the price of this figure two-pack this figure two-pack for our listeners was actually a kmart exclusive so again i don't get it the execution on the funk and the accessories are great you do an awesome packaging design and then the foley figure the mankind figure whatever you want to call it is just terrible i think i know what we're gonna do with that mankind Uh that that mick foley wait a minute are you talking about a list i'm getting the list out joe we're getting the list out this is gonna be the first time that a wrestler has made the list twice, and that is the pit list. (laughs) He's going in, baby. He's getting burned in the fire. (laughs) It makes sense. I think we got to light this thing on fire. It's got to go in the pit. I'm telling you, YouTube video, we're going to light this thing on fire. Maybe do a little voodoo. Do a little voodoo with the boogeyman. We're going to set up the boogeyman play set. We're going to put this mankind figure, whatever the hell it is, Mick Foley figure in the play set, and the boogeyman's going to punch him right over into the fire. (laughs) done two mick foley figures are on the squared circle action figure podcast pit list so joe i'm still sweating here i can't believe i got an autograph figure box sitting by my feet (laughs) i got two fresh figures here they do smell good too Mm, they smell they smell like the 2000s baby and i just can't believe i made it through I want to thank you for all the support. I want to thank Terry Funk for the support. You guys really helped me get through this segment. And you got to check back next week where we choose another figure or figures to bust it it open. Tonight, we are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history a professional wrestling. Are you ready? Wrestling fans, are you ready? For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! And welcome, everybody, to this week's main event! Well, Joe, this week on the main event, we have a really awesome match. We're going to go back to 1997 and following up an extreme busted open. We're getting even more extreme with EC 
So we're going to review the match in this week's main event between the franchise Shane Douglas and Bam Bam Bigelow from the November to Remember 1997. This match took place in the Golden Dome located in Monica, Pennsylvania, 25 miles from Pittsburgh. It is franchise territory. There was 4,600 people in attendance. This match was pretty incredible. It is really a long, brawling match, and I think it's undervalued. So at 25 minutes and two seconds, say 25 minutes, it was a barn burner. And I believe in the end, the people went home happy. They did, Will. I remember at the time, the November to remember 97, my cable provider, I couldn't watch it. So barely legal, hardcore heaven. November to remember 97, three hits in a row. And I was really interested in this main event because I'm a big Shane Douglas fan. I love the franchise. And to pair Bigelow up with him and have the match again, I was excited, man. It's I thought it was a great main event. I really wanted to watch it on pay-per-view. I couldn't. I can't remember how I watched it. I might have watched it. Somebody else recorded it or watched it on VHS. I was excited for it, man, when I finally got to see it. Yeah, Joe, same here. I actually watched it on pay-per-view myself. The lead up to this match was incredible. You know, old school, hardcore TV, late night television. Used to record it sometimes when I couldn't stay up. You had this really cool feud between Bam Bam and Shane, which basically started all with Rick Rude. And he's got this mystery man to challenge for the World Heavyweight Championship. And that mystery man turns out to be none other than Bam Bam Bigelow, where Bam Bam appears in Queens, the Elks Lodge, in front of a raucous crowd. He challenges Shane for the title and beats him. And I remember that hardcore television taping. I watched it live and it was just incredible seeing Bam Bam win his first ever world championship title. I liked Bam Bam in ECW. To be honest, Will, I wasn't sure who the mystery man was going to be watching hardcore TV at the time. You know, there's a couple options who it could be somebody coming into ECW for the first time, somebody you didn't expect, but I didn't think it was going to be Bam Bam. So when Rude announces the mystery man was Bam Bam, I'm like, oh, they're definitely going to take the title from Shane. And especially Bam Bam being in the triple threat, a little bit of a backstab kind of story. Bam Bam's size, his popularity. I was like, oh, Shane's losing the belt. Yep, you knew it right there, especially in New York. I mean, it's New York, New Jersey. It's basically Bigelow's town. It was great to see it for him. I, I was very happy that he finally had a title. Not that he ever needed one. I'm not saying he did, but it was fun to see him hold a world heavyweight title. After the match, over at the ECW Arena... A few weeks later, I guess it's, it wasn't a pay-per-view, right? Double Jeopardy was actually just a... Yeah, it's one of their like extra events. Yeah, yeah one-off extra event. And, you know, since Bam Bam beat Shane, Shane gets his rematch at Double Jeopardy. He loses again. So you're like, wow, I mean, where's this going with Bigelow? You, you know, he beats Shane. He forfeits his membership with the triple threat. He beats him again at Double Jeopardy. You got the November to November pay-per-view on the horizon. You didn't really know what was going to happen. You didn't know if Bigelow was going to be champion for a while after this or if it was leading up to another, you know, a third match with Shane. And we found out shortly after that's that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, he beat him once. He beat him twice. I think the reason they went with Shane one more time is like you mentioned in the intro here, it's in Shane's backyard. Bam Bam. Fortunately, he was one of those champions that, you know, went with a storyline was going to lose the belt anyway. 
And that kind of sucks for Bam Bam. I would have liked to see him hold the title for a long time. And the result, Shane, hometown, makes sense with the story, with what they were going for. Yeah, it does. And, you know, as we talk about it, you kind of get it a little more, too. You know, Bam Bam's in Queens. He's the mystery partner, wins the title in Queens. They head to Philly. He successfully defends it at Double Jeopardy. And then they finally move to Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh. And you get that third match there. I want to talk a little bit about the entrance. I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of this match. Bam Bam actually demands that he come to the ring first as champion. Joe, when this happens, it's never good for the champion. (laughs) And the majority of the times the champion comes to the ring first, they're going to lose. So anyway, he demands that he come to the ring as the champion out first, blah, blah, blah. He comes out in his gray flame attire, which I absolutely loved. I love that attire. But what's unique about this is his demeanor, right? In his presence. He's just walking around and dragging the title and pacing back and forth. He never puts the title over his shoulder. He lifts it in the air maybe once. And it's just, he just doesn't care. It seems it's like he just doesn't. I think that's what he was going for. That was part of the the thing. I'm Bam Bam Bigelow. I beat you. I'm going to beat you again. I'm going to I'm going to kick your butt. And as we get to it later, he does. So he's in the ring. Shane comes out second. The crowd is going crazy. Obviously, they're big Shane Douglas fans here. The other members of the Triple Threat are also banned from ringside. And then Francine accompanies Shane to the ring, but she's on crutches, so she's like limping around coming to the ring because she actually fractured her pelvis at double jeopardy. So Shane finally gets to the ring. Bam Bam throws the title down, like puts the line in the sand. The referee holds it up, get it out of the ring. Then it's basically Bam Bam dominating a a very slow paced match. Yeah, the match is Bam Bam dominating most of the match. Shane being a former champion, you know, the beatdown to me, it was very unusual because Shane's a big guy. It's not this, you know, like a Spike Dudley type character with Bam Bam. You know, Shane barely had any offense at all. You know, the match was very slow paced. Shane beating him inside the ring, doing some outside work, you know, a little bit of brawling here and there. Bam Bam beating him down over and over and over again. And to be honest, for a main event heavyweight title match, the crowd was very tame for an ECW crowd. Now, I don't know if that has anything to do with the town or you know they were falling asleep with the match the match basically being bam bam beating shane down and they're shane fans i don't know what it was but the crowd was very quiet it was very very unusual for an ecw crowd it was and i was at a lot of ecw shows from 98 to 2000 and the crowds were raucous i mean we were crazy and i don't know if it has to do possibly even with the wwe network now we're re-watching this match to get better insight on it. But the WWE Network likes to filter out a lot of stuff, especially when it pertains to ECW, because of the raw nature of it, non-PG nature of it. It could be that the WWE Network filters out some of that crowd reaction, especially during this match for some reason. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I know they do it with a lot of the entrances because they don't have the rights to the music. I don't know. But I felt watching this match, the crowd was a little tame. Getting back to the match, there's one spot that you think that Shane is actually going to turn everything around, and it's when Bam Bam sets up a table, puts Shane on the table, and then he's going for his moonsault, trying to hit the moonsault on Shane Douglas from the top rope, but Shane gets up before he can hit the moonsault and then power bombs him through the table. You think, wow, Shane's really going to turn it around here, 
But then they're both down and Bam Bam gets back up just as Shane does. He's holding his back a little bit, but then he continues to beat him down. Yeah, same thing again. The only difference here, Will, is that as Bam Bam's beating him down, he keeps favoring his back. So it's like, okay, he took a hard bump. Maybe there's a kink in the armor for Shane to capitalize on because he keeps holding his back, keeps favoring his back as the match goes on here. And at that point, Shane is definitely landing a lot more as the match goes on. It's a little back and forth now. Bam Bam's still very dominant as the match goes on, but Shane's, you know, a little more offense shortly after, you know, Shane's offense, Bam Bam more on the offense again. And Shane is busted open, bleeding a little bit. And it looks like here we go again. Bam Bam's going to win the match. Three times in a row here. And that's when you see Candido and Storm hit the ring shortly after that. Setting up the classic press throw, similar to when he throws a Spike Dudley out of the ring. He does to Shane over the top ropes. Bigelow throws Shane onto Candido and Storm. It was kind of, you know, you're like, okay, Candido and Storm hit the ring. But they hit the ring. Shane gets thrown on them. And security takes them to the back pretty quick. Yep. They're in and out because they're not supposed to be at ringside. Shane's outside of the ring. He's composing himself, trying to get back into the ring. Then while all this is going on, Francine gets up to the to the ring, hobbling with the crutch. She goes to hit Bam Bam with the crutch. He catches the crutch and then he goes and swings at her, misses her. But then when you think Shane's going to attack him from behind, he counters the attack from behind and uses the crutch against Shane. And again, He's beating them down. The funniest thing about it is they go really quick to the finish here. Bam Bam goes outside of the ring, gets the broken half of the table that he went through and a chair, sets it up where he's going to powerbomb Shane through the broken half of the table and the chair. He goes to powerbomb Shane. Shane reverses it into the belly to belly through the table and the chair and bam, one, two, three, we got a three-time world champion. The crowd goes nuts. Yeah, I remember the crowd going crazy. That's the point of the match where I'm like, I think that's why I remember the crowd all standing up when he hits the belly-to-belly suplex is because they didn't make a freaking sound the whole match. So it's almost like they were waiting for the end. They're like, all right, Shane's going to win the title. He's going to take it back. He hits the belly-to-belly. They explode, jump out of their seats. You know? They they explode. yeah. yeah. And what I love about it, too, is the selling on Bam Bam's part. You know, even though he was continuing to beat Shane down through the match after that table spot, he like you said, he kept going to the back, kept going to the back. And all you needed was that one belly to belly. That's what put him down. You know, again, a slow paced match, but not terrible. A classic brawl. And they told a really good story. That's what I loved. You know, it was a really just classic brawl telling a good story between two big guys in the ring, eventually getting Shane to that third title reign, eventually giving Shane his third title reign. We don't know what was going on. Was Bam Bam on the way out? Was he disgruntled? Was the match always set up like that? We don't know. We can sit here and talk ad nauseum about what we think, what we think. But what we think about this match is great. And what we want to do now is we want to review two figures that we think best represent this match. And the first one we have for the three-time world champion is the OSFTM ECW Series 1 Shane Douglas figure, the franchise Shane Douglas. And this, Joe, was released in 1999, part of, again, Series 1, 
The cards were very basic. They had that orange yellow look to them. And what's unique about this Shane figure is that he's got two head versions, a big head, little head, which is weird. I don't know why they did a running change there. He also has short hair. Now, he didn't have short hair until he was in WCW. So it's very odd that they gave him the short hair. The figure actually has slick back hair and it looks like it was meant to have a ponytail. So there was always, you know, in 99 and and, and throughout the years, there was always this question, was this figure meant to have a ponytail? Well, we found out probably about a year or two ago, Brian Myers of the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast found the prototype for this figure. And on the head of that prototype, Shane Douglas did have a ponytail. So OSFTM must have did a quick running change. They cut the ponytail off when they saw him cut his hair when he made his move to WCW. Must have been a last minute change just to get this figure out. I wish it had the ponytail. That would have really completed the picture for the figure. When you take the figure out of the package, you know, when you have it loose, you're right. Well, it does have that slicked back hair. And he did have short hair, kind of slicked back, but it was longer. But in the figure, you can almost see where the ponytail was supposed to be. You're right. Well, when he cut his hair, they did a running change. So the figure would sell. Even with him being in WCW, people could still buy this figure from them and, you know, put it in their fig fed. Yeah, I think so. And I think maybe that's why you had a big head, little head. Maybe they had something to do with that. You know, maybe the ponytail head was supposed to be the small one or supposed to be the large one. And then they chopped it. And then to, to get the proportions right, they eventually moved to one head or another. Who knows? You think it might have had something to do with him moving to WCW? Maybe they changed it to the big head? <laughs> kind of fit what he was doing yeah, a little bit? Maybe, maybe? maybe as a rib or something. All I know is I personally think that the big head, small head has to do with the ponytail. I do. There's something there that just makes sense. And with the prototype coming out that shows he did indeed have a ponytail, it, it, it has to do with the ponytail. Now, you have the figure in hand. I have the figure here in front of me. This is why we think this figure best depicts Shane in this match. We always want him to have a ponytail like in the prototype. Tell us a little bit about the trunks on this and the accessories Looking at the card, well, just to go back to the card, I love the ECW cards. I It's so nostalgic for me. And I remember being in KB when I got this figure too. Shane was the first figure I picked up, you know, my mom bought for me. So looking at the figure on the card too, it's just, oh man, it brings me back. Inside the package, Shane comes with a red and black chair. Uh, so he just comes with a single chair. And the attire is the uh, classic yellow and black, the yellow and black, yellow and gold that Shane would always wear. What's interesting on the figure, though, Will, is the crotch piece didn't really have much real estate to work a design on there. So they kind of did almost like a black cross across, like a black cross and the yellow underneath. It followed down to the knee pads that are yellow and the classic tasseled boots that Shane would always wear. So there they got pretty damn close. I just think with the side, you know, the shape of the trunks, it was a little off. Yeah. And he used to have like a diamond shape usually on the trunks on the back of the trunks. Yeah. Does it have the triple threat logo on it? No, the back of the trunks is plain. Oh, see, that's what I would have also yeah. liked to have on the figure. But who knows? We may have never even got this figure if it wasn't for them pushing it out. Because again, he literally was in WCW like the next day in 99. I'm very happy that we did get a figure of Shane Douglas, part of the ECW collection. You needed a figure of the first ever ECW 
world heavyweight champion, the franchise Shane Douglas in this wrestling figure line. Well, Joe, great figure for Shane Douglas. Fantastic. I love it. Let's move on. The best figure we thought represented Bam Bam Bigelow from this match was the Toy Biz WCW Bruisers Bam Bam Bigelow from 1999. So another figure from 1999. The card is pretty cool on these figures. They come in a bubble. It has like a front and a back bubble with a card back that's split through the center. It's got the photo of Bam Bam Bigelow on there. He's pretty cool. I absolutely love this Bruiser's line. I love Toy Biz figures. What are your thoughts of this figure, Joe? This is my favorite Bam Bam figure. I personally love the attire. I love when Bam Bam was in ECW and he had the gray flame. I like the black and gray or the black and the the figure is a little different with the blue, but I love the attire. So to get it in figure form, I was excited about. Same here. Well, I like the Toy Biz line. I know a couple, you know, wrestling figure collectors I know aren't huge fans of the line, but having the Bam Bam in the Toy Biz line with this attire, it's one of my favorites. I, I love this figure. I'm actually holding it in my hand right now. I have it loose and it's a great figure. It's a fantastic figure. The detail on the head, the attire, they even put the two tattoos on the sides like he had on his um, forearms. So it's just an awesome figure. I hear you playing with it. You're making me a little jealous over here. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that's the minute. action right there. That is actually the double clothesline and ladder slamming action. As per the Bruiser's card, great tattoo work on that figure. You know what I absolutely love about this figure, Joe? It comes with a yellow and black ladder. How cool is that? So when we're talking about choosing figures that best depict the wrestlers from these matches... How perfect is that a Bam Bam Bigelow figure that had a gray bluish black attire comes with a yellow and black ladder, the colors of the franchise Shane Douglas. I just think that's incredible. That's just a little fun tidbit there for our listeners. And one of the reasons why we chose this figure as well. But yes, the likeness is incredible. The head tattoo is incredible. The forearm tattoos are incredible. This figure is one of my favorite Bam Bam Bigelow figures ever created. It's got a very unique torso that was very similar to Bam Bam Bigelow, very much in scale. These figures, the Bruiser's line, Toy Biz WCW Bruiser's line, are incredible and this is one of the best in the line i love this figure and i love the bruiser's line when you look at the bam bam figure in particular close up the face the deco on it it's a great figure and i love this bam bam figure too well I like having it in my collection. I was a big fan of Bam Bam Bigelow. So to have it in this attire, I was very excited about. Yes. So to all our listeners out there, if you want to recreate this main event, whether it be in your figure friend or your figure display, go out, get the OSFTM ECW Series 1 franchise Shane Douglas and get that Toy Biz WCW Bruisers Bam Bam Bigelow in that gray blue attire. And we think those are the perfect figures to recreate this main event. So that's it. The one, two, three on this week's main event. And we want to thank everyone for listening this week to the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast. Remember, the Squared Circle Action Figure Podcast is the gold standard in wrestling figure collecting.